Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, is your pastor being deceived? Is your church deceiving you? Are traditional evangelical organizations being infiltrated and bought off to get you to accept moral and political positions that contradict what Jesus said and what his apostles have said? And maybe more shockingly, have you unknowingly joined the rebellion against Jesus? And if you have, how would you know? Well, our guest today is actually an investigative reporter. She's a journalist, and she's uncovered some pretty shocking things that have been going on in recent years regarding these issues, regarding some people who are trying to infiltrate the church and trying to get it to accept things which are clearly unbiblical. Her name is Megan Basham, and she writes for The Daily Wire. She's also written for many other uh, outlets like The Wall Street Journal, National Review, Town Hall. She's written a book called uh, Beside Every Successful Man. She's worked for World Magazine. She's uh, interviewed several A-list celebrities, and Megan and I saw one another at the annual Southern Evangelical Seminary Steadfast Conference, and she gave a talk entitled, How Leftists Are Infiltrating Churches and Ministries and Co-opting Them for Political Purposes. And we're going to go over some of that today because some of it is going to shock you. And part of, uh, of, of the way you can avoid being deceived is to get information that will illuminate the deception. Because as you know, the biggest problem with deception is you don't know you're being deceived. And so Megan is going to help us do that. Hey, Megan, before we get into the details here, how did you get into journalism? <laughs> uh, you know, I on, in, on campus when I was, um, I was an English lit student, I in, intended to go very much in a more literary direction, um, but started working for my campus paper, I really enjoyed it. So when I came out of college, um, I started working actually for the University of Phoenix doing uh, as a curriculum editor, but I loved reading World Magazine, Christianity Today. I really liked Christian journalism in particular. And um, that just became a goal of mine. It was just something that I wanted to do. I started pitching freelance articles uh, to places like the Wall Street Journal, National Review, always interested in politics. And um, when my husband went into broadcasting, you move a lot in broadcasting for those who don't know that industry. Um, you kind of start in smaller markets and you move bigger, bigger, bigger till you get where you want to be. And um, it was a great fit for a young mom in that I could do it freelance, I could do it contract, and I could make it fit around my life. So uh, that was really kind of why I chose it and kept going with it. Now, you're working with Ben Shapiro. And for those who don't know, Daily Wire has people like Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh, Andrew Clavin, Candace Owens, Brett Cooper, Jordan Peterson, and of course, Jeremy Boring, uh, Jeremy uh, and uh, the folks at 
at uh, Daily Wire are have also created kind of a, a new entertainment uh, company, for lack of a better term. It's called Bent Key. In fact, hopefully we'll have Jeremy on the program at some point to tell you more about that. It's kind of an alternative to Disney where you're not going to get all the woke nonsense. But working with these folks, Megan, people like, I mean, Ben Shapiro, he's the only guy in the world you cannot speed up. <laughs> When no. you're listening to a podcast, right? You like got to slow them down. What's it like working with all these brilliant minds over there? No, it's great. And they keep you on your toes. And um, it's such a fast-paced environment. Um, but also, you know, when you work for the facts, don't care about your feelings guy, you better bring your facts. So it's really taught me to go, you know, I can't just sort of go, here's the vibes of what's happening out there. I better have <laughs> receipts. I better have data. I better have research. So uh, it's it's been great learning to bring all those facts to persuade feelings. That, yeah, that's what I like about Ben. Facts don't care about your feelings. Let's just get right into the facts. Well, let's let's talk about the fact that you got interested in investigating some so-called Christian organizations. What prompted you to do that? Um, well, you know, to be really transparent, I was at uh, World Magazine, which I love, and I think they have probably sorted some things out, some internal issues that were going on. But what happened was I started to see in 2020 the same, um, what you might call woke uh, dissension within the ranks of world. There were some young reporters who were pushing people that I thought were very questionable. Um, we started to see a lot of narratives sort of creeping into stories about um, critical race theory, just things that, you know, as an average Christian mom, as I was writing about general culture stories, just alarm bells started to go off. And I went, this doesn't seem right. Um, and for those who don't know, it ended up bleeding out onto the pages of the New York Times that there was something of a fracture within world with people who took issue with these things and people who didn't. And um, I went to the Daily Wire, but shortly after that, a lot of those who were bringing that stuff into world left and went to Christianity Today and The Dispatch, which if you're not familiar with The Dispatch is David French's um, publication that he he helped launch and then he went left and went over to the New York Times. But that kind of gives you an idea of the ideologies that were in conflict. So yeah, yes. that um, <laughs> David French uh, was a never Trumper for those of you that don't know who who sort of, I think, went pretty much left in his political views, despite the fact claiming to be an evangelical Christian. Right. And, and there are several evangelical Christians that we'll get into as we go on that appear to be drifting that way. Uh, and so now you're with the Daily Wire, which actually is headed by Ben Shapiro, who has everyone knows is an Orthodox Jewish man, but there's a mix of different right. perspectives religiously over there. You have Michael Knowles who's, a, Knowles, who's a Catholic, Matt Walsh, who's a Catholic, Andrew Clavin, I believe, is a Christian, mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Jordan Peterson, nobody knows what he is. Right? He <laughs> We're won't working even on that. It. That's right. He <laughs> won't even admit it. Uh, although he's got a new book coming out, I hear, Those of Us Who Wrestle With God, something like that. Um, so you noticed it at World. And by the way, Here's my easy definition of woke. Maybe you can improve upon it. But it seems to me wokeism is essentially treating people based on their identity group then Correct. rather than based on their behavior. You're, you're going to put people into identity groups and you're going to treat them solely on their identity group and not really judge them on their behavior. It's kind of the anti-Martin Luther King uh, right. ideology, if you will. You know, as King famously said that, uh, I have a dream that one day my four children will be judged not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. And it appears to be that wokeism has flipped that. Do you agree? 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And part of what you see with that is also when you look at sin. Now sin is divided into the oppressed and the oppressor. So we judge whose sinful hearts we're going to speak to based on whether or not they fall into the oppressed or the Mm. oppressor class. And if they fall into the oppressed, then we sort of absolve them of any sin. For example, you have seen people say that racism equals um, some uh, power plus being uh, in a majority status. And so rather than saying anyone can harbor sinful bigotry in their heart against someone else based on external characteristics, we're now saying, no, you have to have power to be racist. So that's a new Mm. definition. Um, And so that was the kind of thing I was seeing. And part of the reason, you know, it was interesting for me having come from so many years in Christian journalism to go to, while it is conservative politically, and there are many um, religious people within Daily Wire, it is a secular organization. So it was interesting for me to go, I almost have to get outside of Christian media in order to report on what's happening here, because I saw it happening Um, as I started, you know, at that time, I obviously did not know everything that was going on. I just had a sense that things that don't feel right are happening. And I would start to see little nuggets of information that I went, why aren't we talking about that? Why are we not talking about, um, say someone like Jamar Tisby, who is sort of a revered historian. He's extremely left, I would say, but we're not calling him out for, um, platforming and propping up people who are pro LGBTQ, who are pro abortion, So we're not talking about that. And that made me uncomfortable. I went, why as as a Christian organization, are we not talking about what Jamar Tisby is up to? Um, So it felt like I had to get outside of a Christian media organization to write about some of these things because one, it was so personal in some of these Christian media organizations that if you brought it up, the staff dissension, the staff conflict just went haywire. So it's almost like I had to get somewhere where I would not have that internal pressure to deal with. What is the problem at Christianity today now? Because you mentioned some of the people from the world who were buying into woke ideology, which is anti-biblical, went over to Christianity today. What's the problem at Christianity today as you see it? What, what, What facts do you have for us? Right. And that was, you know, one of the big things that I started digging into. And I went, what is happening at Christianity today? Because I had people coming to me. I had, you know, my childhood pastor writing me and going, hey, is Christianity today woke now? Because he just noticed the coverage of those kind of issues, particularly when it came to race, um, when it came to soft peddling, sexuality, what the Bible says about LGBTQ issues. So um, when I dug into it, the facts were I found out that they had quite a number, like 74 political donations between 2015 and 2022, and every single one went to Democrats. So that's a lot of donations. That was a number of staff, and that included the CEO and president, Timothy Dalrymple, was donating to a hard left pro-abortion, pro-trans agenda. You spoke about the trans agenda at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary in your speech. So I could not wrap my head around donating to candidates like that. And it also included the news editor. So a guy named Daniel Silliman is the news editor there. So he's overseeing all of the political coverage. And they have a lot of political coverage, uh, not just on candidates, but on legislation. So when you see that, okay, their news editor is making political donations to uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, and her campaign for presidency, that's a level of... um, lack of discernment that I think would have been really surprising to people to find out that this is sort of the outlook that is happening behind the scenes at Christianity today. And, you know, one of the things you can highlight about Elizabeth Warren 
is that she is so extreme on the left that she has lobbied for shutting down all crisis pregnancy centers across the United States. So that's militant. Um, So that was one of the things I found. And then also, and it's funny because this article has disappeared, but Rod Dreher over at the American Conservative um, sort of preserved pieces of it. And that was that their former editor-in-chief, Mark Galley, talked about his time as um, the head of Christianity Today. And he mentioned that while he was working there, it wasn't even so much what they would cover, but what they wouldn't cover or which voices they would select mm. to highlight. And he he stressed an issue. He gave the issue of, say, um, complementarianism in the pulpit, that it was assumed egalitarianism was the legitimate point of view. And so what they would do was interview um, female pastors. They would highlight voices who were very egalitarian they wouldn't even talk to people who are complementarian and present another side of this view, thus establishing that this is the only legitimate point of view to have. Because in a feminist world, to the secular media looking from the outside at Christianity, at evangelicalism, we would have seemed backwards to suggest that you know women shouldn't be leading churches in the main you know shepherding role. So um, that was another thing that I started looking at. Okay, well, what are they covering with some of these issues? And it was stunning to me that when you saw countless um, articles taking, and and I want to be clear that these are somewhat debatable issues, but they only took one side of gun control, uh, immigration, climate change. And at the same time, they were not covering at all like dozens of bills in dozens of states to protect kids from transgender ideology, to protect them from trans surgeries and puberty blockers. So to me, I go, why is the flagship magazine of evangelicalism not covering this issue that is extremely important to Christians that Christian parents are running into and that they need help dealing with. So when I looked at that and then I looked at their political donations, I went, oh, okay, well, I think we have some questions about what's happening at Christianity Today. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Megan Basham, who is an investigative reporter journalist for The Daily Wire. And she's pointing out to us, as you can see, that uh, despite the fact that Christianity Today has Christianity in its name, it's a lot less Christian than you might think. And look, there are some issues, Megan, that Christians can disagree over, sure. you know, such as tax policy, welfare, immigration policy, environmental policy. But we shouldn't be disagreeing over the clear teaching of Scripture, like don't murder, which, right. of course— is abortion. You're murdering someone. We know it's a human being. Uh, We shouldn't be arguing over whether marriage is between a man and a woman or that God made male and female or that we ought not lead children astray or we ought to make divorce rare. We ought to make it harder to get a divorce rather than easy. I mean, these are the policies that we all ought to agree on um, politically because they're clear, not only in scripture, but they're clear in natural law. You don't even need scripture to know this. Um, so what are the policies that leftists, some of them who have infiltrated Christianity today and world and other places, what are the policies that leftists want Christians to embrace? Yeah, good question. And by the way, I want to, um, just really quick clarify that, uh, I would say that world is one of the few, uh, Christian media organizations in particular that actually dealt with this issue. And, uh, so they're corrected. back on the straight and narrow now. They you think? are, I would say, yeah, I would say their leadership, um, they, they, they dealt with it. And the, the voices that were trying to bring that into that organization, they left, they went elsewhere. Okay. So yeah, good. I did want to clarify that. So you can still trust world. 
Yeah. And I think that it, this is something to know is that, look, any church, any large uh, Christian organization, they're going to try to come into your organization too. So the fact that they're trying to come into your organization is not what discredits you. It's how you handle it once it starts happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, some of the issues we can talk about the the gay and transgender issues, that is a major one. And so part of what I started looking at was um, some of these big secular foundations. And I don't think, you know, maybe a lot of average listeners and your audience would have any idea of the amount of money we're talking about. So, you know, starting way back in the early 2000s, a really large um, secular LGBTQ organization called the Arcus Foundation made it clear that their mission was to transform the United States when it came to gay marriage, gay adoption, um, surrogacy, all of these issues. So they started trying to push legislation, but their legislation was failing everywhere, including even in deep blue California. If you remember in 2008, Proposition 8 Mm -hmm. failed. So after Proposition 8 failed, Arcus Foundation made it very clear and you can go out and you know find old articles where they talk about this saying the number one reason that they were not having success was because of churches because of people of religious faith and so they said if we want to find success in our efforts to transform the United States we're going to have to target churches we have to hit them where they're getting these convictions and so that's what they did. Um, so they started pouring money into various organizations that were what you might call front groups for LGBTQ affirming ideology in the church. So at first they went after some of the main lines that had not already fallen. In particular, they poured millions into sending people into the United Methodist Church. Well, we just saw in the last couple of years, there's been a schism as the UMC has affirmed gay marriage. And they also started pouring money into groups that would target evangelical churches. So one of those is um, a ministry called, I I use ministry in their terms, understand, I don't think these are legitimate Mm -hmm. ministries, but uh, called the Reformation Project. And they were very clear that they don't think you can be a legitimate Christian church if you are not LGBTQ affirming. And they openly say, we are out to transform every denomination's view on this issue. So they're not going to leave you alone. That's the thing to know. And they started partnering with a group called Embracing the Journey, which their front-facing material is very sort of... um, Deceptive. It's deceptive. (laughs) It's generic. They're not very clear about what they believe. Like they will tell you, we don't take a position on whether you can be gay affirming or not gay affirming. Um, We're just here to help parents who have children, Christian parents who have children who um, have same sex attraction. And but then when you read their material, it is extremely clear that they are affirming that they say this this is is not sin. This is the Andy Stanley uh, situation. Yes, and that is what I was about to get to. So what they have done is they have found their way into major churches. Mm -hmm. Um, Andy Stanley just held a conference with them Mm -hmm. a couple of months ago. And on that stage were not just uh, gay affirming people. There were married, uh, gay, uh, quote unquote married, men married to other men who are up there on that stage taking the position that this is not a sin. Now, Stanley would say, in what I would call very hedging language, well, we're not necessarily agreeing with them. We're just giving them a platform to share their view to help you as parents. But why would you give people who are teaching your congregants something unbiblical 
a yeah, platform our, to push um, their view. Our audience knows that Andy Stanley and I have been friends for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I had a six hour conversation with him about this just back in June. And even though he's my friend, I'm going to tell him the truth. He's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and theologically he will say, yeah, I know homosexuality is a sin yet everything he's doing goes exactly in the opposite direction. And so you have to speak the truth. Uh, and I mean, he's open to talking about it, but he doesn't really budge. He's thinking he's helping people by giving them this out that, Oh, now that same sex marriage is, is legal. Uh, why don't you just be in a same sex marriage? And so at one point I asked him, well, you know, prostitution is legal in some places. Why don't you just allow Christians to be pro? Oh, it doesn't hurt. Prostitution helps people. I said, so does same sex marriage. And I can show you, read my book, you know, correct, not politically right. correct. So uh, he's, he's not being consistent on this issue. And the problem is, is when somebody of his stature, who is a, he's a wonderful communicator. I mean, he's just right. a great, uh, you know, uh, preacher. And much of what he says is spot on, right? But not on this issue. And, uh, and that's part of the problem. Then everybody thinks, well, he's, you know, he, he talks about the gospel all the time. Uh, well, maybe he's right about this same sex stuff. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Right. Despite the fact Paul says flee from sexual immorality. Right. Despite the fact that the first church council said, you know, you only have to do a couple things, you know, stay, stay away from meat sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. If you do those things, you'll be fine. Oh, really? Okay. Hey, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, so we need to call this out when we see it. And we know we need to go to people we know who are going down this road and try and get them to turn around. And whether you can do it or not, isn't the issue. What you need to do is be faithful and talk to them and say, here are the issues. Uh, you need to follow Jesus, not the culture. And that's the problem. A lot of people are joining the rebellion against Jesus, Megan. And right. some of them know it and some of them don't know it. And for our audience, I want them to know whether they're doing it or not. And if they are doing it, stop. Don't rebel against your savior. And that's what you're doing when you're agreeing with the culture on clear issues that the Bible says, no, that's not the right position. The opposite is the right position. So sorry, I had to go off on no, that. No, 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 that, that was yeah. absolutely correct. And I think part of what helps is to know, look, we assume that, you know, pastors are only influenced by scripture. And I don't think that's realistic. It, that's not true. They're influenced by culture. But then especially when you have people in these organizations who are coming into your church and who are taking up positions of leadership, like I can tell you, there is a woman who comes out of that Reformation project um, platform, comes out of their circles. And she's teaching classes. And I think probably this was a woman named Debbie Causey. And when you look at her writing, which is very clear that uh, transgenderism isn't a sin, homosexuality isn't a sin, you go, okay, what influence do these people have on these ministries once they come in? And they're being backed by organizations that are being backed by secular billionaires. So you have also seen this at, um, that, that's the East Coast. If you look at the big church on the West Coast, some of these people uh, who were Reformation Project Connected got into Saddleback Church. Now, I asked Saddleback. They did not respond because I said, look, you've got a pastor on your staff, a teaching and counseling pastor who is leading small groups that is part of this Embracing the Journey curriculum, and he's speaking at Reformation Project events what is your response to this? They It just disappeared off the website. So yeah, I think by, part of the problem too is, yeah, lack of transparency. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Saddleback was Rick Warren's church. He's no longer there. He's retired. 
Uh, that's the one out in California. I can't remember who took his place. I spoke there many Andy years ago. Andy Wood, uh, okay. a, a, a husband and wife. I, I think her name was Stacy, maybe Andy, and I can't remember her name for sure. But uh, husband and wife co-leaders. Okay, so they're they're out there at Saddleback now. And uh, who was who else were you just talking? Oh, the other when you hear Reformation Project, you'll probably hear the name Matthew Vines. Yes. Okay. Now Matthew Vines is a young. Well, I don't know how young he is, and he's probably below forty still. Uh, he's he he's a he's a pleasant guy. He's debated Sean McDowell, uh, which you can go to Sean's website, uh, YouTube channel, and see on this issue. He tries to say, I believe the Bible's inerrant, but it still allows for monogamous same-sex relationships. Right. Now he's completely wrong on this. And by the way, even Andy Stanley admitted he's completely wrong on this. Okay, <laughs> but. So if, why would if, you let them in your church? Yeah, I know. That's the that's the thing. Yeah, you're other gonna, you're, than to preach the gospel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, the, the, don't don't pay attention to what I say. Pay attention to what I do. That's really the issue here. Um, he's trying to say it's the opposite, though. But everybody knows. In fact, Dr. Michael Brown, who some of you may know, a brilliant uh, a brilliant apologist and former uh, uh, Jew. He's a Jewish. Uh, Messianic Jew. What's the word I'm looking for here? He's a Messianic <laughs> Jew. Brilliant guy, PhD in, in Semitic languages from NYU. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown has pointed out, he said, look, if an alien were to were to just parachute into, into the world here and pick up a Bible and could understand it and read it, would any alien walk away saying, yeah, same-sex marriage or, or same-sex relationships are good? No right. alien, you know, if you, you would just go, okay, it's, it's prohibiting it. Right. And yet you've got people twisting themselves into pretzels to try and figure out a way to make the scripture say what they want it to say. And that's right. something that if we're going to be true to what Christ wants us to be true to, and that's him, we have to call that out. Look, Paul called out false teachers on several occasions in the Bible. He even for a moment said that Peter was a false teacher, <laughs> you know, until Peter repented in Galatians chapter two. So as you said in your talk here, Megan, when you were at the conference, you said there, there are some people who have not shifted their allegiance from Jesus Christ to Harvey Milk. Right. Yeah. Harvey Milk, for those of you that don't know, was a, a same sex advocate in San Francisco uh, 40 years ago. In any event, um, there are so many people that are being deceived on this issue or they are purposely deceiving people. We've talked about Andy Stanley. What? Who are some of the other pastors who have said at least questionable things on this. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, and I don't know why all of these pastors are doing it. So I can show you the money trail, how the how it's going from the billionaires to these affirming organizations, to the soft organizations that we're not sure where they stand, to your pastor. Um, but to give you one example, J.D. Greer at Summit Church mm -hmm. was very much speaking about pronoun hospitality, that this is the way that we are to approach the transgender issue and show our love in the church for uh, people who believe that they are actually the opposite sex. And you gave such a great talk on that. And the whole time you were talking, you said, pastors aren't speaking out on this. And I thought, they're not just speaking out on it. They're helping it along. Mm -hmm. And you know, J.D. Greer flashed in my mind as somebody who was promoting this idea of pronoun hospitality. Um, I did an interview with him where we kind of debated it a little bit because at the time that, and that was when I was still at World. And that was another example of an issue that made me go, something is not right in the church. 
Now, what you have seen is some people start to question that. And I think he's pulled back because there was so much outcry over that. And you've even seen Rosaria Butterfield, who I love, at one point in time was embracing this pronoun hospitality idea. And I think this was all sort of coming from these organizations. Rosaria realized, hey, I made a mistake here. And I think that we need to talk about, listen, if someone publicly says, I repent, this was a a public sin, I am publicly repenting, then we cheer that. And she is just one of the most courageous, bravest voices out there. Because rather than just pretending that it didn't happen, she very publicly said, I I was wrong and I repent. And I want everybody to know that this is where this... um, idea was coming from. For me, there was an element of a fear of man, and I was just misguided. And so I appreciate that so much about her. J.D. Greer kind of backed off of it, but did not do what Rosaria Butterfield did, which was just very publicly repentant. For those who don't know, Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian academic who was befriended by a pastor. And over a long period of time after the pastor would invite her uh, to dinner with his wife, and you know, basically she became a Christian, and uh, now has written books and uh, has sort of like people like, uh, um, uh, oh, gee, you know how you get older, you start to lose your train of. <laughs> yes, I'm getting uh, Megan. There. Uh, oh, I'm thinking of uh, people like Sam Albury, yeah. uh, who is same sex attracted, but uh, Christian and is celibate. Uh, people like um, Christopher Yuan. Uh, people like Beckett, Beckett Cook. Cook. Yeah. yeah. Well, Be- Beckett Cook and Christopher Yuan and Rosaria Butterfield, they're kind of a, a, a trinity now of people. That they're, they're, they're in lockstep on many of these issues now. And it's good to see that she uh, has realized uh, that the road she was going down in that regard wasn't the right road. Who else is out there that we ought to be aware of? And, and by the way, if you can amplify the follow the money uh, trail right. that you talked about in your talk. Where's the money coming from? Who's behind it? And uh, does it explain why some of these organizations have gone left? Yeah, I think it does. And so, um, you know, just to give you another example, we saw, because I've been talking very much about sort of either non-denominational, more on the Southern Baptist side, but I think in Revoice, we saw this very much in Presbyterian circles. Um, if you're not familiar, a lot of this um sort of just general jargon, this narrative, it was coming into an organization called Revoice, which initially people were like, gosh, you know, we're not really quite sure what to think about this. They were encouraging um, same-sex attracted people to identify by their sin, to say, I am a gay Christian and that's going to be okay. And they started promoting very bizarre ideas like spiritual friendships, where if you were a same-sex attracted man, you might have some sort of covenantal relationship with another man that you love, and it can include everything from you know kissing and cuddling, but no sex, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea that something like this would come that deep into the Presbyterian church was really shocking, and you saw a lot of voices pushing back on it, but I think there was such a desire to show that we're loving and that we want to uh, show how we can help these people come out of this sexual sin. But instead of calling it sin, we're going to call it things, you know, euphemisms. 
And we're going to allow for this sort of go ahead and identify with your sin, which is not something we see with any other sin. We don't see go ahead and identify with your drunkenness or your addictions. Um, So that was just sort of a very strange development that happened in the PCA church. And the reason that I think it's happening is because when you trace this money, you need to understand, like, for example, the guy I was talking about with the Arcus Foundation, which is the largest um, LGBTQ philanthropist quote unquote, philanthropy group in the country. Um, John Stryker is a gay billionaire. He's not a Christian. He's, I don't know that he has any religious faith of any kind, but when he inherited his father's massive um, medical company, that was what he decided he was going to do with his money, even though not a Christian, not a religious man. So that is where the, this money comes from in this particular case. And he's not the only one. And that's the thing to understand. I mean, I'm just giving you like one example of an organization that's doing this. That's the Arcus Foundation. And that was when he started funneling money into evangelical groups like Matthew Vine's organization. And, you, and you, you've you also traced some of it back to George Soros. Right. So that was something else. I, and it depends on the issue. So um, I'm always very careful about these threads of money. Mm-hmm. But um Some of these issues that you brought up, you mentioned, okay, Christians might have different views on climate change. They might have different views on immigration, and that's fine. But the thing to understand is you have a George Soros, the Clinton Foundation. They're funneling money into these evangelical front groups, not so that we can hold different convictions, perhaps as led by the Holy Spirit on these very debatable issues, but to say, no, this is a gospel issue. And as a Christian, you better support um, cap and trade legislation. So that's something we saw with the Evangelical Environmental Network. So they were getting money from the Clinton Foundation. Mm. And they're now putting out all of these sort of Bible studies and they're trying and very quiet in the background. They take this money from um, the Clinton Foundation, from the Hewlett Packard Foundation, from the Ford Foundation, from these very large billionaire secular foundations. And then they go out to churches and they distribute these quote unquote Bible studies and what they're trying. And, and then they start lobbying for very specific legislation. So, you know, I listened to a great interview um, that was on your podcast with Dr. Hugh Ross, and I thought that was interesting. And I don't take a hard line on climate change because that's not what I report about. I'm telling you who's coming into your church trying to convince you not only do you have to take this position on climate change, but as a Christian, for the benefit of the gospel, you have to support cap and trade legislation. Mm, you have yeah. to, you have to support fossil fuel regulation. Um, and so that's what they need to know. Do you think George Soros cares about whether or not you are being a good uh, Christian and showing a good church witness when you vote for cap and trade? No, they're trying to leverage these churches to gain political power because evangelicals are anywhere from 25 to 35% of the electorate. So yeah, of course they're going to be targeted. By the um, way, l- yeah. L- ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, um, in order for people to stand firm on these issues, uh, we have to be confident that what we actually do believe is true. And yeah. uh, it's hard for the heart to rejoice in what the mind doubts. So not only are we getting pressure to recant from our Christian viewpoint, just culturally, we're getting pressure from colleges when we go to college. We're getting pressure 
when we uh, even now go to some churches because we have these leftist organizations pouring money into some church groups and into some parachurch groups and into some magazines and news outlets to get us to buy a position that goes diametrically opposed to the scriptures. And if we're, we're not strong in our faith, we're going to have to, we, you know, we might be apt to, to just give in and join the rebellion against Jesus. We can't do that. That's why I want to remind you guys about the two online courses we have coming up in January. Why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Brand new, all new video, all new workbook. I'll be your instructor. It starts in the middle of January. And for the sixth to eighth grade group, uh, the same kind of material is called Let's Get Real, but it's taught at the sixth to eighth grade level by Shanda Fulbright and myself. Uh, again, it's called Let's Get Real. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. We have to be uh, training people to know why Christianity is true uh, because this onslaught that we're getting uh, to be to, to compromise on the truths that the scriptures teach us is, is getting more and more intense. And Megan is pointing out here. In fact, Megan, let me ask you about this because you pointed this out in your talk at mm -hmm. the SES conference that there's kind of twin commandments that even people in the church believe. The twin commandments are be nice <laughs> and don't be divisive or combative. Just go along to get along because that's what Jesus was like, right? Just he's always nice. Right. Unpack why that's nonsense, if you will. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I want to point out that some of the most uh, divisive men in church history are those who did the most good in the church. So it really depends on what is the motivation for your naming names and calling out, you know, specific corruption going on. We could yeah, Jesus and the apostles did that. That's what just about every <laughs> just about every single book in the Bible talks about false teachers. <laughs> right. And, and 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 that is why it is so important, because when we don't name names and that's hard, right, it's hard to sort of be the bad guy. And I actually saw Rosario recently give a great speech where she said, I, I'm calling it citing my sources because mm -hmm. it's important to acknowledge where it's happening. And the reason we have to acknowledge where it's happening is because how else are we going to equip the churches to protect them from wolves? If you won't name a wolf, if you won't um, describe what wolves do, if you won't describe how wolves are funded, then sheep don't know that wolves are coming for them. Uh, so I think that's really important to know. Um, and so part of why I've done this is say, look, it's not just to be mean either. It's not just to be divisive, but one, it's to give people an opportunity to repent. These are, these are public sins that I think need to be publicly repented. Um, you mentioned Andy, Andy Stanley. I think it would be great if Andy Stanley would step up and say, I messed up here and I hope he mm -hmm. has a change of heart. I pray he does. And if he does, I think the greatest witness in the world were, would be for him to say, I publicly repent of doing this. Um, By the way, I, I, I've asked Andy if he wanted to come on the podcast and talk about it. He said no, but he's welcome anytime if he wants to talk about this. So is J.D. Greer or anybody else we've talked about. Uh, if you want to defend your position uh, or you want to change your position, we're totally open to all that on this program. Uh, we're just pointing out what the Apostle Paul did, what uh, Jesus himself did in calling out false teachers. As you just said, Megan, if you're going to protect people from wolves, you got to identify the wolves. It's not because we're trying to be unkind. We're trying to be kind to people who need to know the truth. And uh, you, right. you can't be kind to people if you hide from them uh, teachers that can lead them astray. 
So, and I want the teachers to know how they yeah. may be being manipulated because sure. look, you brought up George Soros and mm-hmm. when someone comes to you and you're not, you're a pastor, perhaps you haven't given a lot of thought to an issue like immigration, but certainly, you know, it's a complex issue. We all might have um, different political beliefs on how it should be handled. But if someone's coming into your church and bringing in particular teaching that is spiritually manipulative, that is misusing scripture in order to convince people in your church, not just that they have to think about the immigration issue in a certain way, but that you have to support uh, this particular bill that the Democrats are trying really hard, and some Republicans too, let's be very honest here, mm-hmm. are trying to get passed. And that's the point that antennas should go off. You should go, why am I getting material from this group called the Evangelical Immigration Table that is funded, by the way, by George Soros uh, through another group that was called the National Immigration Forum? So the money kind of moves through different organizations to wash it so you don't know where it's coming from. And then they say, hey, evangelicals, for uh, for the sake of the gospel, we're going to need you to um, support this amnesty bill. Well, at that point, is that what the church is supposed to be doing, rallying its people to support an amnesty bill or to support certain border policies? And I think that's where people need to realize you're being manipulated. And that is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to see particular political legislation passed that is questionable, that is debatable. So, you know, if it's something like abortion, like you said, Frank, that is don't murder. We don't have questions about that. But how should we approach um, how many immigrants we let in? How should we approach um, whether we're going to embrace a policy that allows them to pay a fine and become citizens after breaking the law? Those are issues on which we cannot clearly point to a scripture and say, this is what the Bible says. This is how we handle that. Those are issues that we can debate and have different convictions on. So I would say, yeah, they're trying to turn us away from very clear issues to those that um, we should each be able to look to our own conscience and to the Holy Spirit on how we're being guided. Yeah, some of these policy debates are ends and means debates. You know, we, we might even agree on the end, but we disagree on the means. Right. But some of them are not ends and means. Some of them are black and white moral issues like abortion, like marriage, like don't mutilate children, like divorce ought to be difficult, not hard. These are black and white moral issues. And you don't even need the Bible to know these because they're part of the natural law, uh, not just part of the Bible. But you can you can be informed by the Bible on how you actually vote in public and or how you how you should vote. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we did two shows on the uh, the article that uh, <laughs> happened to come from a University of Pennsylvania professor of all people, Marcy Hamilton, who was trying to say that the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, was a theocrat. And we went through <laughs> how stupid that is because <laughs> I can't get into it now, but obviously- I'm going to have to find that episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple episodes on it because people, they, they don't draw distinctions between legislating religion and legislating morality. It's, it's like the lady didn't even know what a theocracy was. A theocracy is not somebody in politics Politics has religious views. A theocracy is when those religious views are imposed by priests or by by some authority on high, not not in a, a republic way like we have here. And and so it was completely confused. But the left will do that over and over again. Right. They will try and confuse you to try and get you to think that what you're doing is wrong when in fact all you're doing is arguing for moral legislation, just like everybody else in the public square. The only difference is you have an authoritative objective source and they don't. 
Yeah, right? absolutely. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are, you know, they're out there just just a following the whims of the New York Times editorial board when you have natural law and the law of God on your side to say, hey, this is right and this is wrong, because if there is no God, there is no right and wrong. Everything's just a matter of opinion. So in any event, Megan, I, I know a lot of this can be alarming to people. Um, two more questions. One is, what are some signs that people can see or detect when this kind of leftist indoctrination is being infiltrated into their church? What are some of the signs that people can go, ah, oh, I see this here? And then the second question is, what can we do about this? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would say immediately is that um, if you see your pastor, your uh, leadership within your church starting to use these buzzwords that aren't scriptural terms, my antenna goes up. So if I like see what? you something like pronoun hospitality, Okay. Um, yeah, something like spiritual friendships, where you go, I don't know what this means. What, is, what mm -hmm. does this mean? You know, when we're not speaking in clear language anymore, that to me is often a, a way to disguise the actual position that someone is taking. And these are the kind of terms that I think that these type of Matthew Vines Reformation Project leftist groups push in order to muddy the waters on what we're talking about. Because now we're not talking about sin anymore. We're talking about... Um, you know, brokenness. And sometimes those terms are okay. But when I hear that, I go, I'm really glad that when I became a Christian, people didn't talk to me about my brokenness, because that sounds like something that was done to me and not something that I need to address in my heart and that I need to seek forgiveness and that I need to pursue repentance for. So I'm always, I'm a big fan of using biblical language, not mm. cultural language. So that's a big one. Um, and then what was your second question? <laughs> what can they do? What can we do about this? I mean, the so much is following the money. In fact, I, I'm just thinking of an old example. You know, years ago, uh, the uh, Georgetown opened a Islamic study center or something, right? Mm -hmm. And you go in Georgetown. Isn't Georgetown supposed to be a Catholic school? Yeah. What, why are they? Why are they advocating for Islam? Well, you know why? The Saudi Arabian government gave them a whole ton of money, right? So just to open that. So you're just following the money here. We're being corrupted by money, and the same thing is happening to to some of these parachurch organizations and even some denominations, they've been Absolutely. fed money to try and get the the people at the pew level to change their views to basically rebel against Jesus. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the important issue. And it's important to then ask questions because I think people feel a little bit ashamed, like, I don't know if it's Christian to ask, hey, what is this literature that we're, that we're distributing? Who did it come from? Okay, well, it came from the National Association of Evangelicals. Ooh, well, who are they partnering with these days? Who are they getting funding from? And then when you start to track it, it's absolutely reasonable to start speaking up and saying, why are you taking money from these leftist organizations and what do they expect you to do with this money? Um, because I'm going to tell you, there are lots and lots of checks being passed around. Um, and, and I've given you a couple of examples, but I really want people to understand that these are just a couple of examples. Um, and, you know, I'll have a book coming out in the summer that offers a lot more information about it that is, you know, very detailed and granular. But the big point is when you see this happening, I, I think you can do this in a not combative, not disrespectful way. But I think people in the pews have to stop being quiet about it and feeling like, ah, it's not nice. And maybe if I'm not being nice, then I'm not being Christian. I think you can do this in a way that, you know, is loving and respectful and follows Matthew 18, but you have to start speaking up and asking questions. So 
definitely when you see this literature distributed in your church or you have questions, go ahead and talk to your pastor about it. Um, And really big one for some of these guys who have gone way off the rails, stop buying their material. Stop going to their conferences. Um, I think, look, when someone is teaching false doctrine, you can't support that false doctrine. So that's a big one for me because I think people just build fan bases. And um, I I think the way that you really sort of show some of these big voices that we're not going to support this anymore is don't support it anymore. Yeah. Ask a lot of questions. Use the tactics that Greg Kokel talks about from the book Tactics. Ask questions, try and figure out where people are coming from. And you can use the Matthew 18 approach. Go to Matthew chapter 18 and read what it says there and just follow it. Uh, you know, talk to people privately. Then if they don't hear, bring somebody else. If, you know, if they don't, then tell the whole church, right? Just just go through the process. That's the right way of doing it. Now, Megan, how can people follow you and get more information about you and maybe read some of what we've talked about here in written form? Because have you written on this topic much yet? I have. Yeah. And like I said, I'll have a book coming out from HarperCollins uh-huh. in the summer. You're getting like a preview of okay, all my good. thoughts. Well, we'll have you on <laughs> when the book comes out. Yeah. yeah we'll have you on. Do you have a title yet? Uh, we have a working title. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, it's it's Bad Shepherds, How Evangelical okay. Leaders Are Smuggling Leftism Into the Church. Oh, so, okay. But that, that's, yeah, that's our working title. All um, right, good. So very apropos for what we've discussed today. And of course, you can find me at dailywire.com. A lot of my work is there. Some of this Christianity Today uh, material that we just talked about is there. Um we didn't even get into, you know, some of the networks with the government, but I've done a lot of reporting there about how the government has been involved in uh, pushing particular narratives on churches. Um, and you can always find me. I am very active on Twitter, probably a little too active. So uh, <laughs> at Meg Basham on Twitter. <laughs> at Meg Basham. And uh, it's spelled B-A-S-H-A-M, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, Megan, it's been great having you on. I'm glad you're a journalist uh, and a Christian journalist out there, and we need more Christian journalists. So we need Absolutely. to encourage people to get into journalism to speak the truth. Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, where, where, by the way, where'd you go to school? I, I don't know if we Arizona you State. It. Oh, you went to Arizona Sundown. State. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you're in in Phoenix, and uh, that's uh, is that a good journalism school? I mean, where where should people go if they want to get into journalism? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go there now. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. funny. I just saw a thing about the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism was award, which is at Arizona State, was awarding yeah. um, some sort of identity-based uh, reporting awards, and I'm like, oh my gosh, um, yeah. no. So don't go there. Um, but I, part of what I've always actually said is, um, you know, you can get your undergrad degree in anything and be a good journalist. Um, history okay. is a great undergrad major. I was an English lit major, um, uh-huh. and then. Go to work for a paper. Start right. I mean, the best way to learn this is to do it. And then also, we talked about World. World Magazine has a great journalism program for Christians, um, both getting started and mid-career, that they walk people through the tools of reporting. Um, so I encourage a lot of people to apply for programs like that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Megan. Uh, that's Megan Basham, ladies and gentlemen. You need to follow her. Uh, you can check her out on Twitter. You can also go to dailywire.com. And learn a lot more. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, that the next podcast we have, actually, I haven't announced this yet, so you can't forget it. We're going to have Bill Federer on. And those of you who know Bill Federer would know this guy is an absolute delight. He is an incredible historian. And we're going to talk about uh, something we haven't talked about in several years, and that is where do all these Christmas traditions come from? You will be amazed on how much knowledge Bill has on that. It's a fun show. I know people 
when we released that show a few years ago, when we had Bill on for it, just loved it. So we're going to do it again uh, as Christmas approaches. That'll be the next show. It will be on the American Family Radio Network. For those of you that don't know, this is a radio program as well. So check that out as well. It'll come out this coming Friday, just before Christmas. Thank you as well for uh, those of you who are considering giving to us at the end of the year. Every donation is going to go toward ministry, 100% toward ministry, 0% toward buildings. We don't have any buildings. We're completely virtual. We're going to college campuses, high schools, and churches, and also the world with our Kingdom AI program. Check all that out. And Lord willing, we'll see you here this Friday and Saturday with Bill Federer. See you then. God bless.